1: Welcome to episode 249 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas. How's it going, Frances? It's
2: going well. Hola, Gules. Um, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Barca are winning, or we didn't really embarrass ourselves in Europe, so that's a plus. Uh, first time in five years, so hooray. Um, and yeah, we won against Huesca, and you know things are things are looking up. How are you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm ready for a show full of positivity. I slipped in a little negativity there to talk about midway through the show, but we got a lot of positivity to talk about. And believe it or not, that does start with crashing out of Europe, believe it or not, because it wasn't a crash. It was a soft landing out of Europe this season, which is more than... I think Aid can save for the previous few seasons and I think that is the big difference of how we're feeling that Barca played the second leg like they probably should have played the first leg and then they would have advanced but they played the second leg in a way that Kules can be proud of they were clearly the better team and the 1-1 score line doesn't matter as much missed chances I think don't matter as much I'm going to explain why those missed chances are don't worry about those that that's a good sign more than there's a bad sign. but I think the biggest take- takeaway is that Ronald Koeman just like he had gone against Sevilla to flip that tie I guess it was a, a smaller momentada, if you will, against Sevilla. But by going with that three at the back in the 3-5-2 formation, PSG was even an extra wrinkle because Griezmann started in that match. But I guess the impressions I want to hear from you first, uh, Frances, are what are your impressions of that three at the back uh, going back to the PSG? So not so much Huesca, but, but against PSG where Barcelona, whether it was Des, Mingheza, Pedri, Busquets, it was by committee. They defended Mbappe better than they defended um, Galen from Huesca yesterday.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the three at the back is a system that has been done because basically Piquet, who is injured at the moment, obviously, but definitely Sergio Busquets is more comfortable in. Um, also, it's a system that maximizes what Sergio Dest and Jordi Alba can give you moving forward. Arguably, Sergio Roberto, when he's fit, he may go back to that right back, but who knows? Um, but Mingueza, obviously, justifying why Kuman has been trusting him. Uh, let's not forget this is someone who wasn't very highly rated in La Masia. He always did what he needed to do. And he is Catalan and he is hardworking and, you know, he's talented, but he's not one of those highly touted sort of um, superstars coming out of La Masia yeah. like Gaia Azulin and, you know, what's his name? Simons and all of these people, you <laughs> yeah. know, he's someone who has been coming through, doing the right thing, keeping his head down, um, being reliable when he needed to be. And now he's starting for the first team. Yeah. Obviously, there's been injuries to Gerard Piquet, Ara- Araujo has been injured as well. Luckily, he's coming back slowly but surely now. Um, but in a, in a normal world, Oscar Mingueza doesn't really get to start so many games for the first team. But then again, the world is really not normal these days. If there is something yeah. the world is not, is normal. So Mingueza has got a chance. He's grabbed it. He's gone ahead. I mean, he's very physical. He's fast. He's tall. He's confident. He's young. He's fresh, so he's establishing himself in a way that very few people even saw. I don't, I don't want to say not even himself saw it, but probably he did.
1: Yeah. But well, I mean, many I can admit. Around him listen, did. I can admit that I didn't. I have, the, I actually have the stat for you that uh, that backs up my claim that I for a long time he was never one of I uh, for on Barcelblog.com when I would do the La Masia profiles in 2018 and 2019. I never profiled him. He was never one of the ones that I even considered because he wasn't for Barca B. Here's a stat: I Mingaitha. Mean, Three seasons with Barca B, never getting promoted to the first team. He had 2,290 minutes, zero goals, zero assists. This year with the first team, he's played 2,123 minutes. So that is hundred and what seventy or so minutes less this season for one season with the first team than he played in three years at Barca B. And in that time with the first team, while well, he had zero goals and zero assists for Barca B, one goal and two assists, he is performing at a level that he never did. Honestly, he never did. We were going back to the... I had to go back and I looked, and it was Cadet A ah and Cadet Bay. So when he was 14, 15 years old, 16 years old, that was the last time where he really was this kind of featured talent, where he was as important as you'd expect a player to finally reach the first team to be. So the stats and history do back up the fact that this is unprecedented. This is not ish Mariba, who we're going to talk about later, but ish Mariba was a guy that when he was 15 years old, as I said last week on the show, I could tell you, hey, this kid's going to be special. It may not be at Barca, he may not break through like he is. I'm I'm even happy to see that ish Mariba is breaking through at Barca, but I would could have told you that he was going to be a professional football player. I could have told you that he was going to be in the first team somewhere in the Liga or or PSC or some big club was going to always have Ysmoeva in it. But Magetha, I, I mean, I, I didn't know. I, I thought, hey, he could be playing for Sabadell, which is, again, like, we bring your brother up plenty. There's no problem with being mm-hmm. in Sabadell or Yeda for a long, long time, for 10, 7, 8 years, 10 years, whatever it is. Or Yigasterra. It's okay that you play there. But he's playing for Barca's first team. And not only is he even playing for Barca's first team, but he was tasked to be the main guy to deal with Kylian Mbappe, the fastest, the on-record fastest player in the world. And he did a good job. And I mean, what more did did you say to It's It's exciting that you have a player like this just continuing to break those boundaries and do it in the way he's doing it. And so now you have, I'm seeing Real Madrid Twitter, which again, I don't really go on too much. I only get on when they get into our business. And they're saying that he looks like Sergio Ramos, which he does. He has similar hair, but he's looking like a young Sergio Ramos because he can play at the right back position. But he also probably is a real centre back. So no, we don't have wow. Sergio Ramos on our on our hands. But it's funny to me that Real Madrid Twitter is coming into our into our camp to tell us that we, we have a player on our hands that look like that looks wow. like a young Sergio Ramos. It's funny.
2: That's uh that shows high <laughs> intellect from the Real Madrid Twitter. I mean, next, they're gonna be saying that Aquaman is Sergio Ramos when he's retired. Yeah. Um, I, I've got no words. But going back to what we're talking yeah, about, yeah. the important things we're talking about. Um, three at the back is a system that works. Mingueta, obviously excelling. Um, Lenglet, let's face it, he looks far less exposed in there, uh, which is good, it's always going to be a positive. Uh, obviously with Gerard Piquet out, uh, Kuman is trusting Frankie de Jong at the centre-back, sort of at the heart, because he needs someone who really knows how to play the ball, can really control basically the back line. And I mean, that to me is a de- detriment to the whole team, because Frankie de Jong is far more effective up front, or at least further up than, than obviously being the last player in the whole team. But it is what it is, uh, what Piquet is injured. And I think that, you know, if it's adding solidity to the team, then, then so be it. And obviously, Busquets, he's been decent this season, to be honest. He's been better than the last, I would say, two seasons. He's probably the best one in the last 36 months that we've seen him. And he looks much more protected. He looks less lacking in terms of physicality. And that's tick, 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 tick. Plus, you know, uh, Jordi Alba moving forward. Is seems to be rejuvenated, which is great. And Serginho Des is is much more protected when he moves forward, so it is a system that works. Having said all that, I don't think that it's a system we can use by default. I mean, if we're playing someone like Westcar at home, and I know we just did, um, it probably would be better to play a 4 3 3, which we did at times as well. But starting with three other back by default, I don't think is the answer, but certainly against teams that. You know they're going to present a challenge, and let's face it, we are not the best bars in the last 15, 20 years, not even close, then it's obvious that we're going to need to play like that sometimes. But it's good to have the option, and it's good to see it working.
1: Well, I mean, I could easily argue that this maybe. be... I know that Valverde's La Liga teams won back-to-back La Ligas, but you could argue that the Barcelona since 2020 began... Well, I, I think it's easy to argue, actually, that they've been arguably the best team in the world at the moment. And that's not hyperbole. Barca has gone 17 games without losing in the Liga, 14 wins and three draws. They have the best current unbeaten streak of any team in the five major leagues in Europe the only team in the top five leagues not to lose in 2021. So when I say that they're the best informed team in the world, despite the loss of PSG the first time around, the truth is, at least domestically, that yes, they are. <laughs> they're dominating in that competition in a way that no other club in any other top five league is dominating. And you did bring up a lot of good points, too. And the position of Frankie de Jong is one that i have been thinking a lot about, uh, whether it was against PSG, where Barcelona dominated possession, 72% to 28%. And while Pechettino... You know, it's a lot easier as a manager in the post game when your team is the one that moved on to be complimentary of the opposition that you've just moved past. But he did say that, and you could see it, that the game plan was not to just dig in. PSG, is, they did not try to defend with with 28% possession. Barca forced their hand, forced them in that situation. And Frankie de Young being on that back line is a big part of that. And so I do wonder if Gerard Piquet does come back, if Ko- if Kuman won't want to experiment with Gerard Piquet starting over Langley in that situation because Langley is, I mean, I also would expect that Ronald Rajo is going to jump right back in and probably start for Langley yeah. um, with just the, again, the, the, it's unfortunate for him, uh, Langley, the individual mistakes he has made, but it, it, it's a season that he's going to have to go back to the drawing board in the, in the off season, whether he's sold or whether he stays and iron those things out and figure out what role he has at the club moving forward. But having Araujo healthy, he's a starter. And then having PK healthy, he's a starter. And yes, if that pushes Gerard Pique, I mean, if that pushes Mingheza out of that starting lineup, well, uh, that's a good problem to have. I- I'm glad that Barcelona have that mm-hmm. problem. I-, I do want to move up in terms of uh, up the field. And we do talk about Frankie de Young being uh, almost a linchpin of what changes positionally, that if he's it's odd enough that he hasn't really paid the pivot. He's either played as an interior or he's played as a center back and not really in the middle because Kuhn is getting the best out of Busquets at the moment. And I do want to mention, I know I keep patting myself on the back about this rest defense idea that I brought up in the last month, but against PSG and against Huesca, that Barca dominated once again with their rest defense and Busquets's positioning in this 3-5-2 is the most important part of that. And I would be regressed to say that Pedri, who's got a Spain call up this week at 18, same as Ansu Pedri's Pedri is another huge part of that. And the last two points, as I'm going to throw it back to you, is here. Messi's positioning, um, I, we'll talk about him against Weska. So I, do, I don't I do want you to respond with Messi, but you can respond with Dembele and Griezmann. Because while people said Griezmann was uh, once again completely in the shadows against PSG and, and not really making a mark on the game, I, that's not true at all. Uh, when you look at the heat maps, every time Messi dropped deep, Pedri would be within 5 to 10 yards of him, a la Xavi or Iniesta, right? He would every, Just back in the day, that's how they did it. Messi drops deep, receives the ball. And unlike being on an island and, and dribbling right at PSG, Messi would receive the ball, and his first look was about 15 to 20 yards in between the midfield line, which is where he would drop deep to receive, and the opponent's back line. And he would look in between those lines, and who was there every time? Antoine Griezmann. Always being the outlet for that 15 to 20 yard diagonal to his left pass from Messi to Griezmann. And once Griezmann was in that spot, usually it was Messi who would run straight past that midfield line and continue through the line before the defense had time to step and receive the ball again to make that final decision, whether it was back to Griezmann, Dembele, or usually out to the wings to Alba and Dest, who were making those overlapping runs out on the wing. And that gave and giving Messi that wide open ball in the middle of the field, right before the defense can step, but getting in behind that midfield line, that was basically Griezmann's job to be that release valve. Now, people can ask, can Ansu Fadi do that job? Probably. Can Pedri do that job? Yes. So <laughs> you have other players that if Frankie de Jong moves back into interior spot, basically takes Pedri's spot, and then Pedri moves forward into Griezmann's spot, you could argue that Pedri can do that job as well as Griezmann, and Griezmann's not really adding the scoring punch. The other wrinkle to that is Dembele as this nine experiment and I don't want to taint your thinking with (laughs) why it's not been as bad as people are complaining about because you hear the same complaints about Dembele a lot but I want to hear what you think of this I guess you could call it a Dembele as a number nine experiment I I think that's what it really is he's playing along the center backs he's playing those half
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: Okay, Um, lots of points thrown in there. I think the Griezmann point, let's go for that one first. Um, I think that Messi's influence is so large in this team, and it has been so large over the last 15 years, that you've had world-class superstars diminishing their value, basically, or at least diminishing their shine. So when David Villa came, he was the main main goal scorer in Spain, the national team that is, and the main goal scorer in, in Valencia. He comes to Barça and he has to reinvent himself.
1: Um, he ended up as a winger. Thierry Henry. Same I mean, he, thing. He, yeah, that's yeah. the best one. Thierry Henry. He he got old so fast, but he didn't get old so fast. He just played with Messi, and that was and that was exactly. the only thing. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So Thierry Henry, you know, he was Arsenal. He was everything at Arsenal. Uh, you can just, there was a lot of good players as well. Let's they, not exaggerate. But at, in an attacking perspective, he could go wherever he wanted. He had the freedom that Messi has at Barca. Obviously, different players, different areas of influence, but he had to reinvent himself. Um, Ibrahimović never really worked out, never really worked out because he was going to be the nine reference. But as you just explained with Griezmann in a different way, Ibrahimovic's Ibrahimovic area of influence is a space that Messi normally runs into or, or he dribbles into or he does one-twos into. So having Ibrahimovic as a more static sort of striker was never going to help him. And the list goes on and on and on. And fast forward to Griezmann now, well, he has to do other things. He has to reinvent himself. I mean, luckily for Griezmann, uh, he comes from Atletico Madrid and he's learned the Simeone way. So all the hard work all the relentlessness, all the stamina, all the sacrifice for the team. He's got it sort of in him. I think if he didn't have that, to be honest, Griezmann would have been gone from Barca or sat at the bench at Barca long, long, long ago. I mean, let's not go into the price tag. Hugely expensive. Is he worth the money from a goal-scoring perspective in terms of raw numbers? Probably not. And, and for not just the numbers, because the numbers, I don't think they're awful. I don't think they're great, but I don't think they're awful. I think it's more about the feeling of what this player used to do at Atletico, and that we're not seeing week in week out. Uh, we see whenever even Messi's not playing or whenever Messi is assisting him. But the, the the Griezmann at Atletico is impossible to see at Barca because Messi is here, and that that's that's the that's that's, that's the thing that's that's the, that's the point to to be discussing. Then um, Belas number nine. Well, it is an experiment, but the thing is. Kuman doesn't have any other number nines, really. I mean, you've got Brad, Bradway, who, let's face it, he was the was a very good striker at Getafe last year, you know, and he hasn't really broken through into the team. He's been given several chances. I mean, he's been training with Henrik Larsson for the last 12 months, and he probably is better than he was, but Kuman definitely doesn't trust him enough, otherwise he would be starting every single game. Um, he wouldn't have to be trying with Griezmann as a striker, he wouldn't have to be trying with Dembele as a striker. So, obviously, there's no alternatives. I think in the last transfer window, it was clear that Kuman really, really wanted Memphis, Memphis the Pie, but he never came. There was no funds. And uh, he's just trying to make do with everything he has. I think that if Ansufati was fit, he would probably be the first option. Yeah, that's the, that's win.
1: yeah, that's the point. It's it's Ansufati. Yeah. That's that's actually the answer to this. That Brothwaite coming over, as you mentioned, from S last year. He's a number nine. He's mean he wears the the, the number. <laughs> he wears the number nine jersey, yeah. but he's a backup, not. He's a starter on a second bottom half team in the Liga, and he is—I mean—barely a backup. I think he's a backup for Real Sociedad or for Athletic Club or um, uh, Real Betis that level. And then at Barcelona, he probably even shouldn't be in the squad. I mean, and it was, exactly. it was a desperate—it was a desperate plan. Still, I mean, the scars of the Bartomeu era. This is no disrespect to. to, to to Martin Brathwaite. I mean, we've said it many, many times. that I like the player. I think he's a good player. I think he's a solid player that I'm going to root for. Very professional. Very, very, very professional. professional. Yeah, very, yeah. very professional. But, I mean, as you said, Ansu Fati is the answer here. Because Ansu Fati can come in as the winger. He is the left winger, if you will. But he is the most influential player in the box that Barcelona has. He is a threat in the near post, as a far post. He's a threat on headers. He's a threat with the ball on the ground. Um, and he's a threat physically. So, yes, Ansu Fadi is the answer to all of these questions uh, yeah. and all these experiments but, that Kuman has had to do.
2: For sure. But then the same as Mingetha. He's playing. This is Dembele as a number nine. He's playing there because all the other options are worse, basically. Yeah. Mingetha wouldn't really be a starter. He would at best be a squad player. But, you know, he's now starting because... Of the reasons that we've said and to be honest great because he's a La Masia graduate someone who is an example for the youngsters coming behind him and uh, he's giving us all hope and rejuvenating our squad so for Mingueta's part really really proud and really pleased. Now in terms of Dembélé well he's someone that he's clearly not a striker let's face it <laughs> yeah. but the thing is he's incredibly speedy his pace is I want to say unrivaled and if he's play- we were playing against a team that you know, counter us or, you know, is closer to our level, say, like PSG would be or, I don't know, like your Chelsea's, Manchester United, Juventus, like your big teams in Europe, Madrid, obviously, Atletico. So that was someone who could actually make the difference. I don't think his goal-scoring boots are put on the right way, but, you know, they never really have been. But the thing is, if you give Dembele like three or four balls in a match, it's very likely he's going to be in front of the keeper at least twice and then, if he's uh, focused, fortunate enough, then he may score a goal, and that could be the decisive, decisive factor in the game. That could win you the whole game, and uh, in a an European competition, which unfortunately we don't have right now, it could be the the difference between staying at home or qualifying for the rounds. So I think even of the options, they're all the experiments really that Kuman has tried this season. I think Dembele is probably the best one. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not in social media. I don't know what people are saying. But what I do know is that a striker at Barca needs to be making a difference. And I think Dembélé, especially against teams that attack us, could be a very good option. The best one in the market? Definitely not. But the best one we have?
1: Yeah. And I think all of this runs, as we continue to mention, all of this runs through Lionel Messi. And I don't... It's funny because we host the Barcelona podcast. And we get into these weeks or these, these runs because we understand what Messi is. People, I mean, how do you change from talking about the best player in the world and continue to come up with new things week in and week out? And the two goals yesterday, as, as I was always reminded, that there's so little to say more about him and what he's capable of. And what I do want to say uh, first, I'll, I'll start with the stats, and, and then we can talk about Messi. In that, in the 90 minutes he played yesterday, where the only thing I could argue is that Kuman probably should have taken him out, uh, taken him out because he was a yellow away from being suspended against dad, But you also trust that your captain knows how to not get a yellow in that situation when your team is up 3-1 at that point. So in the, uh, in the, those 90 minutes, he had 124 touches, he had the two goals, he had two shots on target. So both that were on target were goals of his total six shots. He also had the assist. He had three key passes. 87% passing accuracy, 81 of 93 in that category. And most impressively, this time around, he had five of six successful dribbles. So he didn't really give the ball away as much as he normally does against a Huesca side that um, I thought was pretty defensively sound and built to be prepared to stop Messi. And they like many, many teams before him, could not. Now, the thing I want to add, the wrinkle, the new wrinkle to Messi, because that's what we try to do. We try to figure out how, what, other than say the record, because the new record is um, by the time that we speak next, he's going to be the the most, or he'll have the most appearances in Barcelona history with 768. He's at 767, tied with Xavi, so he's one away from, from moving past him. And so if, if it feels like Messi is FC Barcelona, he is. <laughs> he's played more matches for the club than any other player, and... Uh, certainly it's almost a healing I think for us as Kool-Aids of what happened over the summer and the feelings of Messi leaving or even the eventual feelings of Messi leaving if he leaves this summer and this piece that, that Kool-Aids had to get with Messi that Messi as we've been talking about whether he was voting in the election or seeing him as a captain now he cares about this club more than almost any human on earth and in today's I, I think we're definitely in today's in 2021 when you know I, we're big NBA fans we're big basketball fans right so back in the day Michael Jordan. Even though he hated the Bulls ownership, he uh, hated—the name is slipping me at the moment, but, uh, I mean, the the owner even, Jerry Reinsdorf, he didn't really get along with— and he was so frustrated with their management. Yet he was always a Chicago Bull. The same could be said of, I mean, Larry Bird was always going to be a Boston Celtic. Magic Johnson was always going to be a, a Los Angeles Laker. And now that generation is frustrated at the younger generation, whether it's James Harden forcing his way out of the Rockets or Kyrie Irving again, what he was doing with the Boston Celtics, and these superstars just kind of teaming up and picking these teams. And the, I mean, the same I think, or more so, can be said of football. That if you pay play a if you pay a player's release clause, it's so hard to have those one club players, right? Like even, even Joaquin, for Real Betis, he's Real Betis till he dies, but also he played for Valencia. He played for, he was he was around, right? So to have these one club men because of how much it costs and wages go up every time you, play, you have a new contract. And so for Barca to extend the amount of money that they have for Messi over the course of his career, it's hard to be at one club for a long, long time. And for Messi to represent Barcelona in the way he does, it's difficult to explain that. And the final thing I want to say, and almost what gives me hope that whether he leaves or stays, I think is still beyond the point. Because... Now, I think you can see, I think, not to say I'm ready to get hurt again, but you can see now with this young core around him, with the way that he's playing and picking the ball up, as I'm mentioning, in, in Kuman system, whether it's the 3-5-2 or the 4-3-3 his positional sense has always been good yes but defensively it's it's night and day now In from the new year and the way that he presses and the moments he's choosing to press and the way he's conserving his energy is night and day to what we saw in the fall where he had so many wet uh, wasted chances he had so many wasted moments where he would press and the, it just seemed disjointed where there were times when Busquets and De Jong would be yelling at people because one of them would go to press and Messi was not in the right spot where he needed to be in that rest defense and they're not going to yell at Messi obviously but they're going to yell at the whole you know the whole Unit, but he seems to be in the right spots defensively now as well. And this Messi that we're seeing since 2021 started can play for Barcelona and can win for Barcelona for the next year or two. And I think that is the why again why I'm ready to get hurt again. Why it's going to hurt if Messi leaves again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. You know, it's not it's not a personal thing about why he can leave. But I just mean what we're seeing on the field that that Kuman cracked the code. He found a way to get the team younger and to get these young players playing in a system and gaining confidence but having Messi be their leader. This is a, for me, as what I said about if Messi stays, this is a perfect situation. This is the perfect Mm -hmm. scenario and what I dreamed about happening this year for both the youngsters and for Messi.
2: Yep, and he's done the job that basically I was criticizing him for not doing at the beginning of the year, which is taking the button and um, opening the doors for this new generation. I think that if Messi goes this summer, then there's been enough growth around him so that someone can take sort of the key protagonist's key, and then he could be, you know, making even more money somewhere else, maybe PSG, maybe Manchester City, who knows? But I think that Messi's duty, if he if, doesn't owe us anything, because he, he's given us 20 years, however many years it is now, of greatness. And uh, obviously, we've paid him really well as a result, so let's not forget that. But I think that Messi, if Messi decided to walk this season this summer, at the end of the season, then, then so be it, you know, we'll have to accept it and we'll have to forever be watching YouTube videos of how great he was um, when he debuted the hat-trick against, against Madrid. And he was like, what, 17, 18 years old, not even that. And the, I mean, I know it's only Huesca, right. But the last two goals he scored, um, the cracker against Huesca and that incredible, like so angry shot from, basically his house (laughs) against PSG was just mind-blowing. Like to to see this guy at 33, 34 years old doing this at this level in these matches of that importance is is extraordinary. And, you know, we've been doing the podcast for nearly a quarter of a thousand. When you say like that, it's quite a big number. A quarter of a thousand episodes is 249 today. And we try to describe Messi in every episode, and we always fail to do him justice because he's better than anything we can possibly say. Uh, but, you know, that's we're just lucky that he's, he's chosen to play for Barca for his whole career, that he's chosen to stay for as long as he has, and that in this last year, he's done his best to take the next generation forward. Obviously, that's not to say that he's certainly leaving. I mean, all the reports... I was listening to Catalunya Radio again today... And all the reports from Barcelona is that basically he sees himself in the youngsters so much, and he's so bought into the into the philosophy that that Kuman is bringing and the freshness and the vision of the, the the team and the club getting better. Obviously, Laporta being chosen is not really going to hurt him very much, is he? So he's the one that basically enabled him to be who he is today and reach the peak that that he reached ten years ago, even seven years ago, arguably. Um, because he laid the foundations. This is Laporta. So having him back is going to be a good thing for him. Um, as I said last week, I don't think it's just about money. I think money matters, but I don't think it's a decisive here. Um, I don't think that many clubs would pay him what he's being paid now um, or even a tiny bit more, or even a tiny bit less. I think the difference would be would be larger than we probably expected had he left last year. So long story cut short, um, I would say that Messi's closer to staying than to actually leave in this summer if he left obviously and he renewed for say three years you need to be mindful that you'd be paying a 37 year old leonel messi a lot of money um i'm not saying that he would be in a wheelchair in three years obviously or you know only being able to manage his head i mean his head his, his legs would still be there his physicality would still be there but obviously he will be three years older Um, He will still be as conscientious and as professional as he's always been. He will continue to be an influence, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, if you're going to pay him big bucks, which obviously if he he is to stay, we will have to. You need to take into consideration that at 36 and 37, that really should be decreasing in my eyes. But that's not to take away anything he's ever done. It's just trying to ensure the long-term future and sort of the the takeover of the next generation that we're already beginning to see uh, properly taking place and and being successful.
1: Yeah, I I compare it to in the NBA, LeBron James and Messi is beginning. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, you throw him in there as well. He's older than Messi. He's a year and a half, two years older than Messi. And the level that these men have sustained, I I think for Messi, the moments are the things that we're going to remember. Of course, I, I was Saying yesterday, the Real Betis goal, the chip from two years ago, um, to basically two years ago tomorrow, uh, that I was considering, and just just remembering all those goals, and you know we'll watch, as you said, we'll watch the the highlights forever. But I think more impressively even than the totals, because Messi, he is a new total, but he's the first player in the Liga history to score twenty goals in thirteen consecutive seasons, or twenty goals or more every year. That's a lot of goals in the Liga, and he's done it thirteen years. So. For me, I think most impressively, yes, the totals are going to be astronomical and insurpassable for at least a long time until the next Messi comes around, comes around in 20 or 30 years. But his longevity, the thing, and LeBron James the same way, the level that they've played at, and not only the level, but the fact that they have gone deep in Champions Leagues and, and how many Copa del Rey finals semi-finals. They go deep in every competition. They're, they're fighting for every La Liga trophy. So to play not only if you consider, so let's say there's regular minutes, right? So there's, there's if you're a team that, I'm not going to throw a team at Athletic Club under the bus, but I will, because they're not really ever contending for the Liga, but they're also usually not fighting relegation. So how many matches that Athletic Club have in April and May truly, truly matter. You know what I mean? Uh, it, you know, and then they don't get very far in couple of the Rey. They're not in the Champions League or Europa League some years, and so you wonder. Just it, those minutes aren't as hard on the body in April and May because there's less to fight for. But almost every minute of Messi's career, there's been something to fight for. And to me, that I consider that almost a weighted minute. And LeBron's the same way. He goes in the playoffs. How many minutes in those playoffs where on your body the strain of those minutes is a- almost double? And so for yeah. Messi to still be at his level with all the important minutes that he's played in important moments and pressurized moments. And the fact that he continues to do this at this level this long, I, I the, the question is, can he still be at this level of 37 for almost every other player for science, for history? It tells you, no, because there is a drop off. There's going to come a moment where these guys physically can't do it at that level anymore. But with LeBron and Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, I I mean, even to, and Tom Brady, I guess in the, for the, the NFL is the only other guy that I really do consider in that Uh, almost a pantheon of guys that until they drop off, they're not going to drop off. We just don't know. They will eventually. There's going to come a moment when they don't have it anymore, but that is not now. And that is not until almost they decide that it's going to be the moment when they have to step away. And what level are they going to step away? Are they still going to be 95% of what they are? When they decide to, to to not hang it up but to you know maybe take on a, another challenge if you will and play it for nils old boys or, or whatever it may be so uh, do you have one final point and then we're gonna get a little younger with the talk
2: no no no. just to say that what you said about physicality definitely applies to mental as well because um the older games that messi has played they he's under the spotlight he's the main protagonist in every single game he's probably ever played for Barça, certainly in the last 15 years and that It is really impressive that he's not crumbling under pressure ever and that he's still performing. And when he's not at his best, he gets criticized and then comes back and scores a hat-trick. It's just incredible. And we're very lucky again to be seeing this.
1: Yeah, I mean, speaking of criticism, what I love so much about having a young squad this season is, you know, hope, of course, is exciting and young players are exciting. And it's a lot easier to not criticize a young player. If, if, If Griezmann... Obviously, he would make a tenth of what he makes if he was 18, 19 years old. But Ios Mariba is only 18 years old. He's played in four matches, one goal, two assists, 127 minutes played in the Liga. He also made his debut in the Champions League, two Copa del Rey. The two Copa del Rey matches I thought he would play and he did. And then he's also played in the Liga. So uh, him breaking in and there are, of course, remember for four, five months now we've been arguing, well you know, has Pedri taken over for Ricky Pouge and put him on the bench? Well, E.S. Mariba is now the one who's higher in the pecking order than Ricky Pouge, And I, I don't think we need to even discuss this other than the point that I just wanted to, you know, wind you up a little bit. And uh, I'll give you the easy out and say that for me, E.S. Uh, Mouriba is doing the job that Kuman is asking for. He needed a box-to-box midfielder if you're going to have Frankie De Young play on the back line with Gerard PK injured. And Busquets is going to stay as a pivot. And then when Busquets comes out, Hey, I don't think it's even ES mariba taking from Ricky Puj. Like I keep saying on the internet. Maybe he's higher in the pecking order. But for me, Ios mariba is playing instead of P- uh Pjanic, which to me is the exciting one. So he's taking all the Pjanic minutes instead of really taking minutes from Ricky Puj. The minutes from Ricky Puj is still the backup Pedri minutes. And Puj getting on the field is more than Pjanic is doing. So it reminds you that... Uh, it's- I know that you want Ricky Puj to start. I know people want him to be getting the match against Weska, but they hadn't played in five days. So you want to keep Pedri with match fitness. uh, Pedri's also 18, and he could play almost every minute of every match because he's 18 years old. And Kuman doesn't extend him that far. He gives Ricky Puj those 10 to 13 to 15, four to two to whatever it may be. He gives him those final minutes in so many of these matches. So it's okay. Just be patient. It's fine. Ricky Puj is not getting minutes because Lino Messi plays in the squad. So if Ricky Puj has to be patient for a year or two, those attacking midfield minutes will be available someday. If Griezmann is out of the club or whatever it may be. But ES Moriba, it's I, I just it, it's frustrating to me that they get pitted against each other. For me, it's ES Moriba versus Pjanic, and Ios Mariba is being taken over Pjanic. So, um, I mean, you know how I am. <laughs> I'm giddy about that. So, Yeah. yeah. Um
2: I I am very tired of talking about Ricky Butch, <laughs> to be honest. Well, um, so can say something com- nice then.
1: What what do you think he adds to the Say something nice. Field? Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: I'm going to tell you something nice. Um Ilash Muriba is 4 years younger <laughs> and he's much more close to what the coach is asking yeah. for. You 3 know, years 3 really years younger. See... 3 years younger. Honestly, honestly I honestly honestly I don't see the point of talking about Ricky every single time. He's a La Masia graduate. I wish that he continues to get um Great, great reviews from people on the internet, but what he really needs to be doing is impressing the coach in training, and then when he comes on the pitch, impress the manager, so the manager picks him. So we, yeah. we cannot be, you cannot be praising Kuman for promoting the youth and, and, you know, getting rid of your Vidal and your Rakitic, et cetera, and you cannot be celebrating that, but at the same time criticizing him because Puig is not playing when you've got Ilash Muliba playing or you've got Pedri playing or you've got Mingueza and Araujo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't really see the point of constantly... Because we spent the last four years talking about someone who's not playing. We used to talk about Denis Suarez. We talked about Malcolm. We talk about Ricky Puch now. Guys, the, it's 11 players on the pitch. There's a manager who, for once, so or for a change over the last three years, actually knows what he's doing, and he's decided that one of the youngsters in the squad is not playing. End of. You know, I yeah. don't really see... Why we need to be tweeting 24/7 about this? But I, um, I
1: argue actually that he is playing though, and that's actually the argument I'm making that Pianich doesn't play and isn't in the in the in the manager's plans. But clearly, Ricky Pooj in the number of games that he does feature in, he's just in the plans like Brothwaite is. He's a he's a bench player. He's he's someone who comes in, takes control of the matches late because he has superior technical ability he has um he's fantastic in possession so he takes control of a game late on when Barca's looking to finish out a game he does get minutes he does see these games and the role he has is to be the backup for Pedri and that's okay that's fine he's 21 he is 3 years older you know i, I, I you know don't throw shade it's only 3 years not 4 years <laughs> that he isn't he was younger but yeah he's 3 years um he's he's 21 years old which is still so rather young and he's a featuring in the yeah. first team it's not like he's playing for Barca B so we're going to talk about Barca B later but Alex Callado is the same age and he's the one that I would actually worry about instead of Poos, because he's not even getting a chance to be in the manager's plans. But, Ricky Pooch is in the manager's plans and he's playing and he's closing out games and he has a role and his role is to be a backup attacking midfielder to close out games in possession. That is his job and that is what he's doing. So actually, I actually push back on you that he's not impressing the manager. I actually think he is impressing Kuman, and he is doing what Kuman is asking for him and that's why you're not seeing him or his family or his agent or anybody coming out and complaining about the minutes he, he gets because I think he completely understands his role and he's impressed enough to earn the role he's got because he's playing over Miano, uh, he's playing over Pionet. He is. He's, I mean, you have a 30 year old, I mean, uh, yeah, you have a 30 year old Champions League caliber for Juventus midfielder, and Ricky Poo gets minutes over him. That, I mean, so I, I think he is in the manager's plans.
2: Yeah, um, I've got nothing else to add, man. <laughs> like, just, just, just leave it
1: at that. Well, let's talk leave about the that. fun stuff. Let's talk about fun stuff. Yeah, then. I'm really
2: tired about talking about the same guy every single episode. He's boring. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, we're going to talk about the fun stuff, and that is... Sorry. No, no, it's okay. We're going to talk about the fun stuff, and that is bank guarantees, okay? So if you don't want to talk about Ricky Pouge anymore, we have we have some exciting economics to, to discuss. But this is a real quick point that... Um... Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the thing you're seeing in the news today is that uh, it's almost a story, but not a story. Uh, Laporta, there was worries that he was not going to get the bank guarantee that he needed, but just as we started recording this, he... there's a bank guarantee that's been signed with the Sabadell Bank. Um, it's going to be ratified by La Liga um, for the amount of 125 million euros or the club would have had to do the elections over. So of course, there was a scary thing that you were gonna have a repeat elections in the time of a pandemic. And certainly could Laporta have come back from that? I, I, I don't know, because Font had, you know, he'd won 30 plus percent of the vote. So the question would be if, you know, would that have stained Laporta from being able to be reelected again? Um, this is also the bylaw that the president must present a bank guarantee of 15% of Barca's budget within 10 days of being elected. We have spoken about why Bartomeu would potentially be on the hook for some of the money that he cost the club. And this is that statute. This is the bylaw that, that, that means that it's possible if it were to go to court. Um, so with that guarantee, Laporta will officially become president tomorrow. So by the time you're hearing this, if you're listening to tomorrow, Laporta is already the president, official president of the club. Now, that's all of the get bank guarantee, blah, 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 blah. The point that I, the real story here, as I, and I think what we don't know is what led to this. And I think that's where you asked the question. So his economic vice president, Juame Hiro, as in the guy that Laporta picked to run the club's dire finances. He stepped away due to, quote, professional commitments that will oblige him to spend a lot of time in London, unquote. Other reports are that there were issues between him and Laporta. So the only thing and the only words i the only reason I raise an eyebrow here, Frances, is that the guy that Laporta said, hey, can you look at these finances and figure something out? That guy is the one that after getting into the offices, after getting into the club, is the guy that said, actually, I'm a bit busy for all of this. That's, and yeah. this again is not even on the Porta. I raise my eyebrow and say, did the economic vice president walk in, look at the numbers, and say, before these go public, I don't want to be a part of these. And that's the thing that really terrifies me more than the Porta's uh, candidacy, more than the Porta losing a main figure, more than the Porta having to scramble to find the bank guarantee. My worry yeah. is that the finances were, yeah, the economic vice president didn't want to be a part of that.
2: Yeah, and also the fact that Laporta very clearly said that he's not going to lift the carpets and basically show everyone all the dirt standards. I think that obviously it cannot be good news that one of your key members leaves basically before you've actually gone into it. Um, it's not a good sign. Um, I don't think it shows, I mean, we did say this during the election. Um, I think it shows that Laporta wasn't really fully prepared, um, as, for example, Victor Fon would have been in terms of having a team of professionals that were ready to to ramble, to be honest. And I think that, you know, when you go into an election and you've got a team of ideas rather than a team of people or skills or reliability and, and hard work behind the scenes, then that's obviously going to show. Um, having said that, I don't think that Laborto is going to have any problems uh, finding first the money to run for well, to be the president. He's already run, he's already won. Um, I think that there are so many businessmen in Catalonia that are desperate to associate their, their brand, their name to FC Barcelona that I don't think that that's going to be a problem at all. Obviously finding someone who is capable, who is ready and is willing to do it in terms of the economic presidency or vice presidency or the economic sort of um, department, etc., cetera, call it whichever way you want to call it. That's going to be what the trick is. But then again, when the Saucy's voted Laporta, they voted him. They didn't really vote anyone around him because we no, no one really knew what the program was. No one really knew what the names were going to be. So they basically said, well, he won 10, 15 years ago. He clearly knows what a winning team looks like. Let's give him a chance and, and see what happens. But you know, when you go and you vote something that isn't fully baked put it that way uh, then these things can happen but i just hope that he manages to use all of his charisma and contacts and um, popularity to get someone to do the job that we need him to do and hopefully everything is well and everything is successful i'm not sure it will be but there you go let's yeah, it, um it, it... let's hope that let's hope they can work
1: it out yeah, I mean, it is funny that you see the complete opposites of stories is that um, not only is this story going on in the background, but then on the cover of all the papers is transfer targets and uh, all this money yeah. that's going to be spent. Right. It's, it seems like there's a, there's a difference between selling papers and what's happening at the club. Obviously, we know that finances are dire. So instead of actually talking about transfer targets. What I'm going to do is I had a video on YouTube. I'm going to send everybody, go over there. I gave grades Mm -hmm. and likelihoods of each of these transfers. So some of these are not going to happen at all, but for some reason, the papers are pushing it and have been pushing it for a while. But the names we are hearing uh, in the last few weeks and more recently just now, um, I'm going to give you the whole list of names, Frances. You pick one. Okay. You pick one that you said, hey, not only do I think that's possible, but I would like to maybe see that player at FC Barcelona.
2: Or... shall we play... Shall we play possible, impossible nonsense?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of nonsense here. Uh, for, don't okay. give away my grades. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're a school teacher, so you're a lot. Let's put it this way: uh, <laughs> if you were, if you were giving, uh, if you gave the same report card I did, and you brought that home to, uh, if your, if your kids brought that home, uh, you would not be a happy parent. Let's put it that way. Those, those grades are not very, Some of those grades are not very high, but so here's the list. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Garcia actually gets a pass/fail. This is going to be a pass. He's probably going to be there. He's he's coming. He's yeah. coming on a free transfer. He's going to be cheap. We've talked about him before. Again, I take can the I, hard. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I
2: just jump in and say, can I just say one or two sentences?
1: Sure. So can,
2: can we do it like that? Yeah, yeah. So, Eric Garcia, um, if he comes on a free transfer, which obviously is the only way he's coming now, mm-hmm. um, he would add the team. I don't think he's definitely not the finished product, but a Spanish international that comes for free and knows the club, yes, please.
1: Yeah, he's 20 years old. I before I kick him to the curb or say I'm done with him. He's again, 20 year old center back uh, who knows yeah. the club was a captain at the, the, the cadet. Ah, so it, it, come on. <laughs> Eric Garcia, so he's yeah. not on the list. All right. Erwin Holland. Holland. Um, great player,
2: possibly with Mbappé, the most promising player in the whole of Europe. Um, he is someone who will be incredibly expensive. I think that he, at the same time though, I think he will be much more expensive in two, three, four, five years time. So if you are going to sign in, you may as well go now. But um, with the finances of the club being what they are, I think that's pretty much science fiction, really.
1: Yeah, uh, but I, I also do think that he is the player that uh, that the club is going to be going after. He is the, the big player yeah. that the club wants. Yeah. yeah.
2: If you've got any money, you try and spend it on a big player. We've yeah, been yeah. saying that for 250 episodes. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: Yeah. agreed. So I guess combine these two. Memphis Tapai and Jorginho Wijnaldum two players that that Kuman wanted. But I actually think they're different. I think Depay is still possible. And I think Wijnaldum, because of ES Moriba, it's probably less, 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 less likely.
2: Well, as I said before, uh, players that come on a free transfer are welcome. But obviously, if we're in a situation that we even have to watch their wage. uh, And also, they both seem to be players that Kuman wants. um, I think that if they are to come, it's because Kuman is certainly staying. I would say that in which Wijnaldum comes, he's going to take some minutes of possibly Lashmuliva, um, maybe some of the other midfielders that we mentioned before. Who knows? Uh, but I think that if he was down to me, I probably would not bring him. Um, and I would continue to, to give the time to the La Masia graduates for them to continue to grow. I think Memphis Depay, especially if Kumani is staying, he's someone that he really wants. I think it's about time we gave him at least one signing, um, and I, I think no one can disagree that this team needs a centre-forward, and if we cannot get Haaland, we can get um, Memphis Depay for technically free, then go for it.
1: Yeah, I'm still on the fence about Dubai, but uh, next one is Yusuf Demir. You don't know who that is, so why do we even? I gave that one a D minus. That's the one grade I'll give away. He's a his 17 year old plays in Austria. Yeah. That the agent, yeah. I think an agent, I think an agent leaked something that oh, Barcelona is interested. So did you know? Yeah, did you know that Barcelona was interested in us when we played? Frances? <laughs> so yeah, I've,
2: but I've, I've read, I've read about it. I've read about it. I have to admit, I don't really know him, uh, but I think that whoever that agent is, that's leaking things out. He's done really well because apparently every team in the whole world yeah. that matters is interested in this guy. So sure. we'll see. He may be very good. We just don't know him just yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, we, I mean, if he's so good, we, we should go after him. Maybe he can be a 3rd co-host for us someday. But I don't know. How about uh, <laughs> how about uh, David Alaba from Bayern Munich?
2: Right. Um, I would say that, again, if he's coming in a free transfer, that's the only way we can sign anybody. Um, I think that we could be stronger at the back. I think that someone of his experience would benefit the team. But then again, if he's going to come and break the bank in terms of salaries, then I don't think we need another vaca sagrada. You know, we don't need another big signing that would not add as much as they should, um, especially on the on the pitch, which is where it really matters. So I'm not convinced.
1: Yeah, I for Alaba, i give away what I said about him was that at he's asking for 18 to 25 million euros, and that is a lot. For the wage bill that's too much and mm-hmm. it's just too much and so he's i i think what i think is happening is that he is 95 percent over the line to real madrid and his agent is using the interest from barca or the perceived interest from barca to continue to get as much out of real madrid because of course real madrid doesn't want him to go to barca and barca doesn't want to have him go to real madrid so manufacturing that bidding war helps you get most on the bo- on the back end alaba's turn of mm-hmm. talent he would be a perfect player of course he can play at left back he can play in the midfield but not really but he actually plays basically as a left center back and that is exactly what Barca, he'd be an upgrade of Langley and umtiti and uh, even Ra who's played there he is one of the best in that position in the entire world so he would fit right into the starting lineup he's a great 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 player nothing uh, nothing more to say but I think Kules are gonna have to get used to the idea of him in a in a white shirt so all right, we've got uh, I mean, Juan Bernat, Brian Heal, um, Julian Nagelsmann as a manager. I think all those are, I, I don't need to touch any of those at the moment, but the final one we'll wrap up with, Frances, um, transfer targets is Sergio Aguero.
2: Okay, so Sergio Aguero, a fantastic player when he used to play for Atletico Madrid, who obviously went to England and made his name even larger uh, for Manchester City. Key player, uh, someone who I've really enjoyed watching from a distance, um, someone who understands the world the Ola way. Someone who is very close to Lionel Messi should be ticking all the boxes. However, at 32, not having really played much football this season, coming back from injuries and arguably being past his best, I don't know how beneficial it would be to have him. Uh, I think that if he could come in for 30, 35 minutes in the second half of matches, then he may be useful. But then again, he's not going to come for free. I mean, he is coming for free. <laughs> <laughs> He would come on a free transfer, but he would come with a very hefty wage that I don't think we should be spending on someone of uh, of that condition, to be honest. And also he would block and take time away from others coming through and establishing themselves. So in this case, obviously, I'm thinking on Sufati, so possibly not for me.
1: Yeah, right. Is he is he the upgrade to Brothwaite that's worth spending money on? I think if the club had was flush with cash and there was all of these uh, opportunities, then sure, take a flyer on him um, because just like what I had talked about, Messi, we don't know where that cliff of Messi is. But for Agüero, the question is with those twelve appearances and the injuries this year, it did he hit his cliff and is he already yeah. on the other side of that cliff and that's a question, that obviously, we don't have the answer to, and it would be scary to see. So I think the the idea that I've heard that he would even come if Messi left, which, again, wouldn't make sense. But I also don't think Messi needs him to come to as a bargaining chip to stay at the club. I think Messi's going to either stay or leave, irrespective of, of, of yeah. whether Aguero's there or not. So, yeah, so that's where we go with Aguero. Uh, uh, Aguero, as I said, check out that YouTube video, I did it last week, it's over on the YouTube page, and that's like my official grades, and a little more explanation on the Brian Heal, and again, uh, Bernard and Julian Nagelsmann, and all that stuff, but okay, where we end the show is a lot of positivity, um, we don't always talk about Barca B and the Barca Femini, but I have to end the show by talking about both of them, because the Barca B, the job that Pimienta is doing this season is in particular, is spectacular. This is his. This is his masterclass this season as how to manage in the third division, how to manage young players. I had mentioned at the start of this year, I was worried not about. Not that you're worried about promotion, because it doesn't really matter if that team is playing in the third or second division, especially if you're getting Mingatha and Iis uh, Moriba and, you know, even Puj left last year. So if you're, you're getting all of these promotions, it's okay. Araujo left last year as well. So you're getting all these promotions of the first team, and that's what Barca B is for. It's a, it's a feed the first team, good players. Okay. That said, Pimienta has fed the first team with a ton of players, most recently Iis Moriba, and yet he is still tied for top in the group with Gymnastique and ready for those playoff Uh, the promotion playoffs again he had yesterday or two days ago rather 13 injured or unavailable players for a team that is uh, again a young team as well in teenagers who need games and need continuity okay some of the names I want to throw out there Nico Gonzalez who since Hunter Oriana who I've spoken about on the show before Nico Gonzalez um, is the son of Frank Gonzalez a former Barca player even and a longtime Deportivo La Coruña player. He has been playing in the pivot position. He's played a right back this year. He's played a uh, center midfielder. He's played a pivot. Um, he has given you serious Sergio Roberto vibes. And you could argue that at 19, he has the potential to be an upgrade, even if Sergio Roberto some year somewhere down the line. So a credit to that player. And then with all the players that he had missing, the courage that Pimienta had to start 16-year-old Gabi. A 16-year-old gets a start against Espanyol B., in that derby which is always a difficult derby even in the third division mm-hmm. and then he also brings Angel Alarcon a winger who's also 16 he comes off off the bench in the second half makes his debut when Barca are just up one nothing and Ray Minaj was out with yellow card accumulation one of those 13 players who is unavailable instead he starts Gerard Peque is the nickname Fernandez. He's a tiny, diminutive uh, center forward, but he gets a start and scores what is basically a galazzo. It was a one touch yeah. from across from Cayado. Cayado's is still the best player. You know, the question here is what's Cayado's future at the club? We can get into that, I think, over the summertime. But I, I just want to uh, make the point that. The job that Pimienta has done, if you think Kuman has done a good job, Pimienta had his list of things he needed to do this year, which is get guys promoted to the first team, which is somehow still contend for a spot in the second division at the end of the year, which is third, still bring in the next generation after that. So the, you're talking about the 16, 17, 18-year-olds uh, year and make sure players are improving. And he is resoundingly gotten A plus in every one of those categories to go back to our grades as we continue to give grades. And uh, I just want to mention that, you know, there are compliments to Pimienta and there are an idea that, hey, he should be the first team manager. He's earned it. What he's earned is being the Barca B manager for as long as he wants to be the Barca B manager. He has been the perfect man for that job in that moment. It's the same argument I make about Kumin. Kuman has proven to us, is he the man for the moment when Barca is holding the Nurse Champions League trophy? I don't know about that. But for this moment, for 2021, in the end of this season, Ronald Kuman is the man for the job. In the way that Pimienta, for this moment, for this Barca B team, for all the things that are being asked of him, he has been the man for that moment. Is he the man for the first team? Again, I don't know. But he is the man for Barca B right now, uh, and he has done an excellent job.
2: It's very encouraging to see that the La Masia continues to produce great talent. Um, I think that having Kuman at the top um, giving the chance to these players is enabling what you're saying in terms of the next generation coming through, because realistically Araujo, arguably um, even Ansu Fati, I know that he's exceptional, but Mingeza, et etc. They should still really be at Barca B. So all of those um, gaps that have been generated as a result of them being promoted, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been there. So in Spanish it's called tapón. It's like the top of the bottle, and if you don't lift it everything gets stuck at the top. You know, it fizzes to the top and it doesn't explode, which is what we're seeing. And it's really, really encouraging that after years of La Masia being criticized as of, you know, not being able to bring up talent, then actually with Ansu Fati came through, then there seems to be a lot of others following that are around the same age, maybe a little bit older, because he's extraordinary. he was extraordinarily young last year when he broke through. But it's it's very encouraging to see.
1: Yeah, An was basically one of the only players that Pimienta didn't have a hand in. <laughs> he went right from Juvenel A yeah. ah, right to the first team. So he never actually stopped with Barca B. But uh, I, I want to mention, too, that, yeah, age-wise, Gabi and Alar uh, Alarcon, who uh, were both playing for Barca B over the weekend in that derby, they are cadet A ah level. Meaning there are players who are playing for not only cadet A, ah, but playing for the Juvenel Bay and the Juvenel A. Ah, that are all older than these players, and they are jumping through. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other, I, I tweeted it, and it did really well. So thanks for everyone that, that, that's uh, supporting me on the, on the internet, on social media. But the idea that La Masia was dead or that had a lull, we've admitted in recent weeks that there was a lull in talent. But this is a crop that is very, very talented, and that's okay. And I think that's where we're going to leave it, because another talented team is Barca Femini, Barca Femini, Saturday versus Raya Vallecano, and then next Wednesday against Man City in the quarterfinal, so that the match against Raya Vallecano, I would not be surprised if Luis Cortez really rotates there to prepare for Man City. Man City is no easy match this year. They have two Americans that I've been watching for a long time, and in, in, um, Rose Lavelle, who actually doesn't play that much, and then they also have Sam Mewis, who is a, a regular starter, and Man City is very, very good. They have put money, just like Barca have, in their Femini program. I've said it uh, in previous weeks now that... This is the toughest women's division. This is the toughest and deepest Champions League we've ever seen. Lyon actually have had some major injuries to some of their players. So Lyon, who Barca or Man City will probably fear, uh, see in the next round, that being the semifinal, they are gettable. And so that means if you're Wolfsburg, who are also one of the top uh, teams in the feminine division, but Man City, Bayern Munich has some blowouts, um, PSG could also beat Lyon. So uh, that's also possible. Um, there, are, there are just, there's so many talented teams in uh, European competition this year in the Femini division. Jenny Hermosa right now is injured. She got injured the other day, hopefully gets healthy in a hurry because she is um, in form. And then the other player I wanna mention here, uh, Alexi Boutejas, who's one of my favorite players in world football, male or female, doesn't matter. She's a top 15 midfielder in the world, but these next two months, she could make an argument to be in a top 10. If they win, if that being Barca Femini, make that final push, and win the last five, or get results in the last five Champions League games that they have to do to capture that trophy. And this is their year because this is the best Barca femenine team we've seen. I, yes, it's just, it's the best femenino teams for a lot of different teams in Europe right now. That's the point I'm making. But this femenine team is the best that we have ever seen. They are talented. They are deep. Their top players banging goals. Their top players assists. They control the ball. They have just the depth of this team um, is incredible. And Luis Cortez has them playing in a 4-3-3 that just suffocates, dominates, presses hard, does everything they have to. And again, led by a captain who's only 27 and Alexia Buteas, you know she's an extraordinary player, and I'm. It's just it's so it, it's so enjoyable to see the feminine team succeed in the way they are. But now comes the moment. If you haven't been paying attention, because they were just winning the games they were supposed to, now comes the moment when they're truly going to be challenged for the first time in almost a year against Man City. Uh, so this is the moment to tune in, and this is the moment to show your support behind them. All right,
2: well we'll have to tune in. We'll have to tune in and see how they do, Dan. Thank you for the update.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Frances, for joining me again when we talked. First team, we talked about the Youth Academy. We ended with the feminine. Uh So you, I guess I'll give you the final word. What's your final word about what Barca has ahead? It's hope, right? Positivity.
2: Yeah, hope, positivity. Um, honestly, all I want is for the young players to continue to play. Uh, that, I know it's very simplistic, and I say the same every week, but really that is what fills me with joy. It's not the winning that matters to me. Obviously, winning does matter, uh, but it's not the be-all and end-all. I think that we need to be challenging for the Champions League in the next three years uh, and I think that what we're doing today not necessarily enduring anymore because the team seems to be doing fairly well and growing etc but I want to continue to have fun like I was watching the game against Huesca and uh, it looked like we were winning by inertia we were in, in I don't know the word in English but we were winning by default we were winning because that's a, t- a game that Barca normally wins and a year and a half at least you know. and this is a team that believes in themselves, it is a team that's being built out of circumstances and for whatever reason we are who we are with the players we have right now at this moment in time but it is really enjoyable to see and I just want to see them continuing to grow, Um, we've got difficult games ahead in La Liga we're not in Europe anymore which in a way could help us perhaps even having a chance in La Liga, Uh, we've got Two crucial games, not coming up immediately, but obviously El Clásico and the games against Atletico coming up still. So if we win those two and we don't mess up in the others, we may even have a chance, which I haven't said all season. But um, no, it is it is great to see. It's great to see.
1: Yeah, you know I like watching young players play. It gives me something to talk about. It gives me something to think about. And uh, I think I asked what Mesquim club meant for a long time under the Bartomeu presidency. And it's not just Laporta, but I, I think we are starting to get a feeling again. By enjoying to watch those matches, it reminds you that Mesquilin Club is very real. And, uh, and that's, I, we're trying to redefine that and figure out what exactly what that means again. I think we're starting to do that. So that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. You know where we're at, at the Barcelona Pod or at D 13 for me on Twitter and also on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group, tvpod.link backslash group, deeper dive discussions and all that stuff. And Patreon, I want to thank, uh, Daniel was also a, a patron who even upgraded what he's doing there. So uh, thanks to him and thanks to everybody uh, in recent weeks on Patreon, tvpod.link backslash Patreon, continuing to support these shows and um, you know continuing to support me. Uh, and I want to say that very, very, very realistically and very, very simply. So um, YouTube, I, I plugged it. I've got match reviews over there. I've got the, the transfer targets. We've got a lot of different fun stuff going on over there. YouTube at the Barcelona podcast, so give us a subscribe over there and we are still again on our push to 10,000. we we're really far away but hey help us get there then finally i want to keep plugging i am co-hosting the locker room on fc barcelona's official twitch channel so you can check out over there and there might even be more fun stuff going over there so there you go there's some uh, some more stuff to talk about there um and yeah so that i think that that does it that wraps it up so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon for some barca what's up